0: Good morning. It is great to be here. I'm glad to hear all these voices blending together as one. We're going to have a great, well, we've had a great worship service. We'll continue to do so. If you will be making your way to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be there in just a second. Do not forget, next Sunday night, right here, the Harding Academy Chorus is going to be here. I heard them in October. They were great. They've had more time to smooth things out, and please bring some homemade ice cream for afterwards. Also, our interns will be here, so we're excited about some new blood coming in here, stirring up some, whipping up some excitement in here. Uh, Michael and April going to have them going, and it's just going to be a great summer. And it kind of officially starts, I guess, right after next weekend. So uh, be here for that. Also on our mind, those who are going to be part of singles and doubles. This is. People who are single, people who are married without children, that's kind of who our target is, tonight at Daniel Haddock's house. Daniel, raise your hand. He's in the peach shirt, well, sort of like mine. It's at his house tonight after church. We're going to eat at his house. We're going to kind of cram for some neat ideas about what we're going to do with this particular group. If you're in that age group but you can't make it, let us know because if we're... You know, if Paul, Paul and I kind of came up with this idea, we're two married guys with some kids and all that. We think it's a great idea, but if you think it's terrible, don't let us waste our time on this, okay? But I think you're going to, we have a, a bunch of people in that group, and that group gets bigger now that postmoderns are kind of living in the world. They kind of wait longer to get married, and then when they get married, they wait longer to have children. So this particular group is getting bigger and bigger. We do not want to neglect you, and so we want to try to give some attention to that. That's tonight right after services. Grateful you're with us. Thanks for a great devotional thought before the Lord's Supper, John, and we're going to honor what he said. You ready? Jesus loves me this time. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. me. The Bible tells me so. If you're visiting, you might ask why. Hold the microphone. If you're a member, you don't. Anyway, I'm going to give you a, a, a description, a very simple description, uh, and I want you to feel free to just kind of toss out some ideas that fit this description. Uh, and here it is. This is something so easy, anyone can do it, but really hard to get good at. Very few master it. Easy enough, anybody can do it, but very hard to get good at and master it. What fits that description? Easy. Anybody can do it, but it's hard to get good at. What? Preaching? I know never to look at him. I know. Why did I look that way? Go run around Jonesboro, and, and you'll notice this. Driving. Driving is one of these. Anybody can do it. So easy a caveman can do it. But not good. It's not easy to get good at, and a lot of people around haven't. Playing cards is one of them. I know people like this. They can count the cards. What they say, count cards, where they kind of figure out the history of who's played what. And if anybody can play spades, but boy, it's hard to get really good at it. Uh, that, that's another one. Maybe something like golf. Jonathan went with a group of men for Men's Day and I said Men's Retreat, and I said, Well, what do you think? He says. They're right. Anybody can do it, but I'll never get good at it. I'll never get good at it. So I I said, well, I've done a hole-in-one at Laurie Mitchell's once, and I bet I could master it. But he says, no, it's, it's, it's easy to try, but not easy to get good at. Saving money might be this way. Exercising. Anybody can walk. Watch the videos of Hazel walking naked down the driveway. I mean, you can see this, right? Anybody can do that. But then the doctor says, you need to walk every day, and we just can't seem to figure out how to how to do that. Marriage is another one. Easy to say, I do, but doing that is not always so easy. And we're going to be talking about one in our topic today from Matthew chapter 6, if you're over there. We already looked at chapter 6 verse 1 last time, and he, he brought up three different things. He says, first of all, uh, it's, easy to, it's easy to give, but it's easy to mess up your giving. There's about four verses about that. And then the third thing he talks about is fasting. It's easy to fast, but it's easy to mess up fasting. There's three verses about that. And then there's 11 verses, which Blake read a moment ago. There's 11 verses. It's easy to pray. It's just not easy to get good at it. And there are so many landmines when it comes to our prayers that distract us. And what's so crazy about this is anybody can pray. You have children you taught how to pray. And, and not only do they figure it out pretty easily, the words we use, but they can go off and they can talk to God about anything. If you've ever heard a kid pray, it's a beautiful thing. They talk to God about every little thing that crosses their mind. They'll bring it up, and there's no holds barred. I'll talk about everything. And they rattle and they rattle and they rattle. But somewhere between that beautiful childlike faith that's able to talk to God about anything and everything. In our spiritual adulthood, prayer becomes something we wrestle with and it becomes so difficult to get good at that most of the time we find it easy to just completely suspend with it altogether. Prayer is easy to do but hard to get good at. And Jesus, in this passage says twice, when you pray, verse 5, verse 7, when you pray, and then verse 9, here's a way for you to pray. He's saying, I'm wanting you to pray. It's one of the biggest, biggest tools I give you, the most important thing I give you to hang on to your faith in this life with all its challenges, and I want you to pray, but I know that you're going to be tempted not to, and you're going to be overwhelmed with how, how complicated this becomes, that he decides, I want to help you out. I want to help you overcome obstacles, and the first move he makes is this. Get rid of the bad examples of prayer that are around you. It is so easy to go wrong with prayer. We start looking at how people do it. First of all, don't do like the hypocrites, he says. You notice this in verse 5 and verse 6. I don't want you to be like them. I don't want you to dress up and make this some impressive visual performance. They're so resolute in their performance as they stand there, knowing that people are listening to their every word and they want to be heard and they want people to hear the flowery words and that oratorical, brilliantly, superbly worded prayer. Blah, 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 blah. Chunk it, he says. There's not a verbal key to getting God to do what you want. Simon Cowell's not going to come and say, well, that was okay, but your form was bad and the words were bad. Nobody's going to evaluate you in your prayer. Quit worrying about how other people would hear it. Now, we're not talking about public prayer now. We're talking about your private prayer. Then he says, and, and don't be like the Gentiles either. We think of Gentiles as unbelievers, but in the first century, Gentiles were believers in any number of gods except just Yahweh, right? And here's how the Gentiles would do it. They, they would mount up these big wording paragraphs, right? Right? Like 1 Kings chapter 18, where Elijah went against the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah and and all the words. They couldn't get their God to respond, and so they came up with hocus-pocus and abracadabra. If I could find the right combination of words and the right sentence structure and the right paragraph of uh, of content, if I could just say the right things, it will unlock the mystery of my God, and he will reward me with a prize. It's like the claw at Walmart. Every kid is drawn by this. You put the 50 cents in this thing, and if you can lead that joystick right and you can hit that button at the right time, the claw goes down and reaches down and gets that wonderful prize, and you're going to spend $40 to get that 20-cent stuffed penguin. And that's the way it is with prayer with the Gentiles. If I can just say the right combination and I can trigger my God to respond, God's not like that at all. So I don't want you to I don't want you to use these models. If you can get rid of the stereotypical ideas that grow up around prayer, maybe it's because we I don't know what it is. What constitutes impressive prayer? What will get God to respond and listen? Your posture doesn't matter. You can stand, you can bow, you can bend, you can lie prostrate, right? You can sit upright with a seatbelt across your chest. You can walk on a treadmill. You can yell into a pillow where no one sees it or hears it except God who does both. The effectiveness and the results of your prayer in no way depend on your articulation of words and certainly not on the right phrases that you use. You don't have to provide a good logical argument to God for why he should hear in a good debate style. It doesn't have to sound like anything anybody needs to hear. And in fact, it should be the way. if people heard your prayers, they would think it's kind of strange because they don't understand what you're saying, why it's important, and why you're saying it like that. Quit thinking there's some standard form that has to be honored. I'm going to give you some examples of some places and ways that you can pray, and I'm going to pause every once in a while because there's a Bible character I'm mindful of and if you can think of the name of that Bible character, say it right here. If you don't, you, uh, open up. Anybody can say what they want. You can pray in the shower. You can pray underwater. You can pray on the commode. You can pray on top of your house. On top of your house. You can pray on top of your house. You don't need a sheet from heaven with weird animals on it. Okay, Peter. Okay. You can pray while you're fishing, or you can pray while you're in a fish. Okay, there it is better. You can pray while you're mowing. You can pray with words. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently with just your lips moving. Hannah. You can pray in a den with lions. I wouldn't recommend it, but I mean, you could do it. You can pray while walking with your wife in the neighborhood. You can pray in a garden. You can pray on a mountain. If you're not sure, just say Jesus. You're probably right. You can pray while you're riding on a mule. That's harder. That's Nehemiah. I wouldn't recommend that either, but if you do, make sure it's one you put a quarter in. You can pray in the midst of the wilderness, Jesus. You can pray when you're driving across town while shouting in the backyard about something someone did to you, while lying on your side eating food cooked over animal dung. Ezekiel, that's weird. Don't do that one. While punching a punching bag, while in bed facing a wall of desperation, Hezekiah, while you're going to sleep, and I've heard some people say, God might be offended because I go to sleep in the middle of my prayers. No, he's not. He loves it. He loves it. Why do I know that? Well, I'll answer that in a minute. There is no standard form that you have to honor, so quit worrying about rules and regulations and performance. Just you and him, it doesn't really matter what anybody else would think. So quit watching and listening to other people. And the second move he makes is he says, I want you to know who you're really talking to. This is the most significant adjustment you can make. Who you're talking to? you talking to me? God says, You talking to me? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? The most common thing he says in this section and all through the Sermon on the Mount is Father, our Father, your Father. He wants you to know this is his identity. You, you have many kind of identity markers. You you are a son or daughter. You are a, a father-mother. You are a worker. You are a this or that. God is the same way. He's the judge. He's the creator. He's the redeemer. He's the sustainer. He's all these things. But he says when you come to me in prayer, I am one thing. I am your Father. I am the one who loves you. You are our child, I am father. And you may have had a lousy father, and, and that becomes difficult for you. So in the rest of the sermon, as Jesus is preaching this, he says, I want you to know who the father is. It's not just any father. He's approachable. He's generous. He's eager to and willing to listen. But here's who your father is. According to the Sermon on the Mount, your father who sends the rain and the sunshine, chapter 5, verse 45. Your father, who's in heaven, he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. You serve a father who can send rain and sunshine. He's powerful enough to do anything, and he always chooses the wisest thing. That's the God you're praying to. He's the God who is chapter five verse 40, 48, perfect. He's the God who sees in secret. People who will say, uh, you can't pray in school. Oh, yeah, you can. Because you see, the closet God is mindful of is not a closet in your house. It's a closet in your head. It doesn't, you don't even have to look like you're praying. In fact, as I look in the audience, I see several who I think are praying right in the sanctity of your own mind, right now. I don't, I don't even have to look. You could be driving and praying at the same time, and I have no clue what you're doing. It doesn't matter what I do. God sees in secret, and there's nothing, there's no place more secret than the sanctity of your mind. And those prayers you offer in the quietness of your mind and your thought only, make it to God. He's the only creature who can read your mind. Even Satan can't do that. It's a place for just you and him to commune. So anybody who tells you there's a place on earth you can't pray, they don't know Jack. They don't know. You can do that in your brain and nobody ever knows. He's a God, a Father who rewards his children when they pray. You know what you put a reward sign out for in your neighborhood? Things that you want. If Abby's cat gets out of the house and gets lost, I'm not putting out a reward sign for him. I'm not going to go to the trouble of doing that. It's just... You reward the things that you want to see happen again. The reward, God says, I want you to know this. I want to plaster all over your heart and all over your life. God the Father says, reward for anybody who prays to me. I will bless you. I can just tell you automatically, this is not a wondering or this is not a guess. Our God rewards his children when they pray to him. You know it because he guarantees it with his own lips. A God who rewards those who will pray. A God who knows what you need before you ask him. That's what he says in chapter 6, verse 33. <clears throat> You're not informing God of anything when you pray. I've heard some people say, I, made, I did a poll one time, why don't you pray? And people say, I don't want to pray because God already knows what I need. Okay, do you want to serve a God who doesn't know what you need? What kind of God is that? We have a God who knows everything. He knows exactly what you need and He's not waiting on you to inform Him. He's waiting on you to share with Him your awareness that you need Him to answer that prayer. You need Him to be there for you and what what God is saying is, I I already know what you need so don't, don't think that you have to come to me and give me information. I want to know that you are aware. That I am your solution for all things. Chapter 6, verse 32. I know you need food. I know that you need clothing. I know that you need shelter. I know that. You don't need to worry about those things. You just need to ask. God's into the conversation, not the content. We serve a God. We serve a Father who's in heaven. He's above us. He sees all things. He can do anything about anything. We serve a God who's not limited in how he can respond to us. We serve a God, he says in chapter 6, verse 14 of the Sermon on the Mount, who forgives you your sins. There are some things when you go to God in prayer you don't know. You don't know how he's going to respond to you. And that's why we say in the Father's will, which we'll talk about in a moment, but there are some things God says the moment you ask, you've got it. There are certain things that you pray for. He guarantees he will issue you. You don't need to wonder, and you don't need to fret, and you don't need to find the right words. You just go and ask him. One of those is forgiveness. You need to ask him, but when you ask him, you get it. One of those, James chapter 1 says, is wisdom. Anybody need a dose of that? God says, I'll give generously to all without finding fault. Just ask me. The Holy Spirit, His presence. There's a number of things God says just by you coming and asking, He gives it to you, which I think means if you don't ask, you won't get it. Yeah, that could be costly. So you see, there are certain things that God, when you start asking, He just looks at you and says, Child, you had me at dear God, right? You had me right there at the beginning. I I guarantee you, I'm going to forgive you your sin if you just ask. We serve a father who is eager to give good things to those who ask him, chapter 7, verse 11. He may not give you what you ask for, but between what you need and what you ask for, God's going to give you the better one. And then you serve a father who considers you his child, In chapter 7, verse 11, he says, I know there are earthly fathers who when their kids ask for food, they will feed their kids. You know what that's like, but he says, you know what, you're imperfect at that. You earthly fathers who just adore your kids and provide them everything they need, you're good people, but you're evil compared to the goodness of God. God, as a father, is a perfect father, and that's the father that you're going to ask for and talk to. Your struggle with prayer our struggle with prayer is not a struggle with prayer, it's a struggle with the identity of God. The more we know about him, the more we will long to be in communication with him. When you get that phone call from a certain person, a certain number, and you go, oh, I don't want to answer that. That's not what God's like. God wants to know that when, if he were to call you, you'd want to talk to him. He's the God you want to talk to. In Isaiah 43, God says, I want, to pr- I want to be your God. I want to be the one you come to when you have a heartache, when you have trouble, and when you have difficulty, and when you have challenge. I don't want you to go somewhere else. I don't want you to consult something else. I want you to come to me. One of the marks of fatherhood is, I want my children to come ask me. God's like that, and he says, why are you like this, Israel? He says, you're, you're turning to wood. The trees that I made out in the wilderness, you're cutting them down, and you chop them in half. You chop them in thirds, and then one-third of it, you build a fire, and one-third of it, you build a a, a chair for your your living room, and then on a third of it, you put a face in it, and you bow down to it, and you ask this piece of wood to help you with your problems. And he says, I want you to come to me, not something I made. Our God is a God, this is crazy, who more wants you to pray than you want to. He longs to hear from you more than you want to speak. What kind of God could care less about whether those kids ask him for something? Our God does. He wants us to come to him. He begs us to speak. And so often we find it the hardest thing in the world to find time, to give him the time of day. And whose blessing is that? Don't pray like other people pray, like the, the, the mistakes we make, uh, Pray to our Father who's like this, and there's a third thing. He offers this template, this, this quick little prayer, and it's just very small. Chapter 6, verses 9 through 13 is the Lord's Prayer. And I know you know it, many of you know it, and if you know it, you know it in the King James Version because it's a sin to know it in any other version than King James. Don't you agree? Right? everybody. Kind of like Psalm 23, why does any other version try it? I want you to quote it with me. If you know it, quote it out loud, will you? Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us... (laughs) Mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory for... It was good until it went to... The debtors and the trespasses messes me up every time with that thing. That's the Lord's prayer, and Jesus says to them in verse 9, I want you to pray something like this. Now, this is not like every day, pray this three times and that's all you need to do. It is kind of a pattern. I want you to pray like this, and we're going to look at just four things he says about this. First of all, I want you to see kingdom is here. This is God is our king, and those who, anybody who ever becomes a Christian is, is saying to the world and to God, God, I bow my knee to you, and I want things to be done in my life like you do. Kingdom is defined better in in this prayer than anywhere else in Scripture. Here's what kingdom of God means. When God's will is done, just like in heaven, in your life, that's when you've come into the kingdom fully. Kingdom means when God's will is done. And we say to him, God, you are God, you are holiness, you are the pattern. And we begin our prayer with praise of the king, and then we go, God, we want you to be seen as holy in this world. We want God to come more fully into this world every day. And the first order of business is this. I want God's kingdom done in my life. I can't control my wife. I cannot control my children. I can't control my friends or my boss or anybody else. But I can control me. And my prayer today is that I bend my knee and I say, God, let your will be done in my life, and my behavior, just like it is in heaven. And you're praying for his kingdom to come. Pray that first. It reorients everything about your prayer when you realize, God, I want your kingdom, your will to be done in my life just like it is in heaven. And then move on to other people because you know what? We are a family here at Valley View. And I happen to know there are people with struggles to submit their lives to God and in a number of ways. I've got my own I've got to talk to God about, and then I know there are other people who've made this aware to me, and I spend some time in my prayer saying, God, please help your other people who are struggling to bring their life in submission to you. Help them to yield to you, and then go to the world mission. This church is behind a lot of efforts in the world to bring a greater portion of this globe under the dominion of God. You are involved with every prayer, with every attendance at church, with every dime you put in the plate. You're involved with Myanmar, You're involved with Romania. You're involved with the Philippines. You're involved with Haiti. You're involved with any number of other places. And it's up to you to help those people. You want to help those missionaries. The greatest thing you can do is pray that God will help the people they're talking to to submit themselves to the kingdom of God more and more. And we can do that from Jonesboro, Arkansas, about anybody on the face of the planet, and we should. Kingdom. The second thing he says in this prayer is take your needs to God. What are the needs that you have? In this prayer, there are two kinds. There's physical needs, your food. Now, nobody in here prays for our daily bread because I think most of you know where your meals are coming from all week long. You've got enough food in your house right now to live for a week if the electricity goes off. And all the power goes out and the world disappears for a week. You could survive that way. And yet God says, I want you to attribute to me the meeting of your daily needs. I want your attention. Every time that you have a meal at your house, and most of you probably have a prayer before, you know where that food came from. And it's not some kind of mystery like it was for a lot of people in a, in a, in a superstitious world. God, however, wants you to know. Wants to know you know where your blessings come from. And they did come from God. That's your physical needs, but your spiritual needs are are the same. Your spiritual needs are two things. One has to do with the past, and one has to do with the present and the future. You have sins that you have committed against God that you need forgiveness for. Don't automatically assume that they're forgiven. God wants to hear you say, please forgive me of my sin. And he also wants you, not publicly, he wants you in your private prayers to let him know that you're aware of where those sins are. We have too many times where we end our prayers, even the personal private ones with just forgive me of my sin. You need to know what sin is. You need to let God know that, you're aware of he, that you are aware of your anger and how you let it get out of control and the lust that you let your mind get out of control and how you speak to other people and how you're full of yourself and self-interest. And you need to say those things to God so he knows that you know and can identify the areas where you're not in submission to him. And then as you look at the present and the future, where are the temptations going to come from? Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. This is not about the past. This is about the present and the future. God, help me as I face temptation. What are your temptations? You know what they are. Don't say them out loud, but you know what they are. How often do you find yourself asking God to give you the strength that the next time that event happens, that seems to always happen in your life and you fall, the next time, next time you've got the strength to overcome it. Third category is your obligations. In the Sermon on the Mount, there are two areas of these. Your enemies in chapter 5, verse 44. There are people in your life who annoy the far out of you. There are people who just grate on your nerves, and you've got to get used to them in your life, and you cannot handle them properly if you're not praying to God about them. And Jesus tells us that's what you're going to do when you love your enemies. But you also pray for those who've offended you. Those who've sinned against you in your prayer, you forgive them. You can't forgive their sin. Only God can do that, but you can forgive them and their offense against you. And you might have to do this over and over and over again, but you must be a person who forgives. And there's one final category, and that's the will of God. I want us to look at this carefully as we quit. Look at verses 14 and 15, which are strange. It almost doesn't belong in this. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. God is saying, listen, my will is very important and you must submit to it. In particular, he knows these areas of forgiveness are hard for us to deal with. Because whoever did this such thing to you was so bad, surely God's word doesn't apply to that. Yes, it does. Here's the truth. If you do not issue forgiveness to others, you do not get forgiveness from God. What if they don't ask for it? What if they don't beg me for forgiveness? That has no bearing whatsoever in your obligation. If you don't don't extend forgiveness to other people, God doesn't extend forgiveness to you, and therefore, you are saying to another person, here's somebody who's done something wrong to you, and you, until they come begging for forgiveness, you're not going to forgive them, okay? Well, until they come and beg you to forgive them, God isn't going to forgive you either. You are giving the complete hold of your spiritual walk with God to somebody else. They hold the power to whether you get to heaven or not. The only way we're going to make it, church, is if we get God's forgiveness. But if by not forgiving somebody else, we're not forgiven, that means your sins are still held against you. And until that person comes begging you for forgiveness, you're out of heaven. How serious is God about that? That's serious. I know only a couple of places in Scripture where this is said. 1 Peter chapter 3, also in Malachi, says, A man must live with his wife with respect and with courtesy. If he does not, it will hinder his prayers. A man who's abusive... To his wife, neglectful of his wife, doesn't treat her with respect and courtesy, God says, talk to the hand, I'm not listening to you. That's how serious marriage is to God. But then here in the Sermon on the Mount, you've got this thing where if you withhold forgiveness, if you don't forgive somebody else, listen, God won't forgive you. And that, bear, that flow of forgiveness is the only chance you got. It's the only way that we stay in tune with God. And if that gets Stop, because you refuse to forgive somebody else. You are in dire straits, so listen, the will of God's important. If there's anybody in here struggling with forgiveness, listen. It's okay to struggle with it, and you keep praying about it and praying about it until you break through with it, but if you withhold forgiveness, your forgiveness is withheld. That's God's teaching. And in your prayer, wrestle with it. You wrestle with it until God's will wins. You wrestle with it till you break your spirit and you've issued that forgiveness that you need to issue regardless of what the person who did to you does. Because the will of God is incredibly powerful. And now you know, did you get that? Now you know what you should pray for. The kingdom, your needs, your obligations, and the will of God. If I were to think of one more thing that's easy to do but hard to get good at, is one that I never did, and it's called swimming in a swimming pool. I'm not a good swimmer. Water scares me. I know, Church of Christ preacher afraid of water. That's a little weird, right? Okay, so here, uh, one end, you got the baby part of the pool. Any baby can be set down like on the steps of the pool and enjoy the coolness of the water. Any little kid can enjoy it, but you know, that's not where you want it to end. That's where you want it to begin. And then you want them to get a little more comfortable and be able to get out there and kind of bob around in the water and play some games and stuff. And then, and then eventually what you want is the full freedom of the whole pool where you can dive off the diving board and, you know, head first and just, dive, just and enjoy the wonders of the water. That really is prayer for the Christian. Any simple person can do it. Any kid can be taught to take advantage. But don't stop there. It will only reach its full potential and power in your life if you're able to dive in head first and take advantage of this incredible blessing God's given us in having a, 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 a way of talking to him straight to his face through Jesus, through the Spirit. And yet, so often we fail to do that. Well, this... This week and every week, I hope it is with the elders, it is with me. I always pray that maybe God can work in the lives of people through burdens they face and challenges they have, maybe the hand of God pressed upon you. And if there's anyone who that prayer has landed on this week, and for whatever reason you know you need to make some things right that are not right, this is the time to do it. May that prayer be answered even right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.